question. And I shall be completing the uh, series we've been looking at over the last few weeks on faith. Um, so let's just recap what we've heard so far, um, very, very briefly. So the first one we heard was faith in disappointments. Um, so we looked at the past and where we needed God's healing at times, uh, for times we've not seen God move in the ways that we expected. We've mentioned that faith is more precious than gold and therefore it needs to be protected. We need to always keep the right view of who God is regardless of our circumstances in that time. And then in the second one, we looked at faith is in the waiting. Faith is in the time when we're waiting for him. Faith is in the time when we are effectively when we've prayed, we're not seeing it happen yet and we're still waiting to see our prayers being answered. We're still waiting to see our promises come to fulfillment and that is the definition of faith because quite frankly if you've already got what you've prayed for there's no need for faith and um, faith is the evidence of what is not seen not the evidence of what's sat there in your lap and you're holding on to it um, and Seco further expounded on that um, last week we also talked about Jesus and him walking on water and Peter walking on water and the essence of in that time of waiting that the point was that we fixed our eyes on Jesus at that point, because as we fixed our eyes on Jesus, the storms and the circumstances of life itself could be walked over because he would sustain us. He is the finisher of our faith, the author and the finisher or the author and perfecter of our faith. And that in itself is an essential truth that we need to keep hold of. He's the one that sustains our faith. He's the one that keeps the faith going in times of trial. And so now I've done the past and I've done the present. It's time for the future, is it not? I do like a bit of time travel. So, um, we'll have into that. And the evidence, that what we're going to call this one is, what do you see? Uh, so that's the title of the preach today, what do you see? Because what we see determines a huge amount. In fact, I would say that, in essence, for, for this particular message, but for a lot of messages, then the way we see affects absolutely everything. So... If we are to look at something, we can, we can look at exactly the same situation, but with different eyes, different people have different eyes. They see and they judge and they view something in a very, very, very different light. And it's really, really interesting. We're going to look at that through a story in the Bible, which some of you will be very familiar with. Some of you may not be. Um, but it's in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And it's when the um, men uh, carry a paralyzed man through a, a ceiling, which is, you know, a standard thing to do, isn't it? Um, so we'll have a look, and we'll see, we'll have a look at the Word of God. So let's get into this. So a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the Word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get into Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, notice their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. He noticed their faith, not the man's faith. 
Some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take up your mat and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked in front of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. A while back I got a a word which was... Um, I felt from God saying that there are prayers that have stopped being prayed, dreams that have stopped being dreamed, hopes that are dying embers because people have not seen the fruit of their labors yet or the realization of their dreams or their prayers being answered. And it's very easy to, to feel that way and very, very easy when you've gone through something for a very long time. Um, I hope today to bring some kind of thought on this story from four different angles that may make things seem very, very interesting because at the very least what it does is it shows you the way God looks at life rather than the way that we can tend to. So the first person we're going to look at is the paralyzed man. All right, the paralyzed man and how he was viewing it all. So I would say if you're an invalid in those days, He would be excused, I don't know if he was, because I never met him, but he would be excused if he looked at his personal circumstances and felt worthless. Yep. Yeah, I would say so. I think he would feel pretty unimportant, pretty much like he had no hope, no future, pretty much like he didn't count. A lot of the time people in those days may well have been viewed in that way, and it would be easy for him to believe the dangerous lie, now God doesn't care. Yep. All right, he's not lifting a finger, is he? He's not bothered about me. He's not really doing anything. It's easy to look around when you're in a really bad situation and to think that everyone else has got a much more blessed life and wonder what I've done wrong. Yeah? I don't know whether you've ever related to that, but there we go. Perhaps he was already blaming himself. Perhaps he already blamed himself for where the position he was in. Perhaps he was already feeling guilty and feeling ashamed because that was the culture of the time. That was a huge amount of the culture of the time that you must have done something wrong. So the lie that God doesn't care can very easily affect our hearts. Every single unanswered prayer that we see, every single thing where we don't see, a day that goes by where we don't see our hopes fulfilled, where we don't see promises happen, can make the heart sick. Every single time we go through a moment where we are not seeing what we want to see happen can make that lie become more and more real. And all that man knew up until that point was a rubbish life. Yeah? That was it. It was a rubbish life. He was the same again and again. It was full of pain and it was full of empty, uh, full of, you know, no purpose. And a God that didn't even appear bothered. Yeah? He's living in a country where most people are very religious around him in, in whatever way. Does, he, does God look really bothered about his situation? 
the truth. And Jesus was very clear about this. When he started to come in, he started to preach about things, and he, he talked about all sorts of things like this. Matthew 7, verse 9 says it the best to, to me. When he starts to talk about people that pray and ask, he says, you parents, if your children, this is Matthew 7, verse 9, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people, he's nice, isn't he, Jesus? If you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Okay, so it's very easy to go, well, hang on still, though, nothing's changed here, but we've got to guard our hearts with the truth. We've got to look at who God is. We can't look at our experience to work out what the truth is. Amen? You can't look at what our experience is to work out what's, what's reality and what is truth. Because if we do that, then our doctrine gets very murky very quickly. So it's very, very important that we protect it with the word of God. And the word of God says very clearly here that God is good. Amen? Amen. God is a good God. God passionately cares about our trials and tribulations. He passionately cares about our pains and sorrows. He hurts more than we hurt when we go through stuff. And if you're a parent, you'll get that. Because if you're a parent, you'll know that when your kids are going through something, it hurts you more. Yeah? If you could take that off your kid, then you would do, and you would go through it for them. Amen? You would. Because you, would, you hate to see it when your kids are going through sicknesses, illnesses, whatever it is. You'd rather take that off them and go through it for them. How much more does God want to do that? Amen? God is a God of passion and passionately cares for every single one of us. He's not up there, not bothered. And he hurts so much more than we do. The truth is that God is desperate to minister into every single person's life beyond our imagination. He never turns a blind eye. He always wants to help. And just because we haven't seen the breakthrough in the way that we want to see the breakthrough yet doesn't mean he doesn't care. Amen? And important that you grab that. We all grab that. Very, very, very firmly root that down before we go any further with anything. There's a lot of lies in all of this story from people's uh, different perspectives. There's a second lie that comes from the religious leaders because the religious leaders would have seen a sinful man. I don't know how aware you are of that culture at the time, but the Pharisees um, had this view that anyone who is uh, disabled in any particular way um, had sinned or had sin in their life in some respect. Yep, that was the way it was. That was that kind of thing. So it was like, oh, well, you must have done something really bad. So that was the way that the Pharisees would have viewed this particular person there. He's afflicted because God's angry with him. It's their view. Now, I get it. Most people in today's society wouldn't think that God is angry with them if they had an issue. But I think there's a lie that's a little bit subtler to believe in all of this. And I would say it's more like, I'm not good enough for God to move in my life, or I'm not good enough for God to answer this prayer, or I'm not good enough for God to move in this particular situation. I've not prayed enough, I've not read the Bible enough, I've not spent enough time with him, whatever, whatever your tick list is on these things, and I've heard a lot of them, 
that we've got to build up credits with God before he'll answer specific prayers, which is junk, yes? It's like a Father Christmas mentality, yeah? You've got to be really, really, really good if you're going to get the good presents, yeah? That's, that's Father Christmas God. He doles out the stuff to the people that are good. If you're bad, you're going to get nouts. Absolutely. Which is a load of rubbish as well, I'm sorry, because actually Father Christmas gives the best presents to the richest parents, from the richest parents. You think about that for a minute. That's just an observation, you know. <laughs> I've just noticed. But think about how rich your dad in heaven is. There you go. That's a bonus thing. I didn't even mention that. But I wasn't meant to mention it. The point is this, it's the wrong way of thinking. It's not about being good to get something out of God. Amen? Amen. Yes. It's, we don't, but it's easy slipped in again. I've, I've messed up here, I messed up there, I did this wrong. When I, I, my mum would say this, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. Did you ever get that? It was a lie. She was angry as well. She, she, you know what I mean? It wasn't one of these kind of like two-way things. She was mad with me at the same time as being disappointed. She was probably a whole load of emotions with me. And when that was the situation, I, I, uh, I just didn't ask for much off my parents. Yeah. Maybe you were, had a really great relationship with your parents. But if, if they're mad with me, if my mum was mad, even now, if my mum was mad with me, I won't ask for much at all. You don't, do you? You don't go near anyone who's mad with you. <laughs> you want to stay away? I'm not going to ask for a favor of somebody who's angry with me. Think, think about it. Just think about it a second. Would you? The teacher at school who gets angry really quickly, do you, do you ask for help from them quickly? No. no. You all right there? Yes, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'll carry on working it out myself. Please don't come anywhere near me, sir. Yeah, you don't, do you? You're always going to ask much more from somebody who's genuinely got your best interests at heart, genuinely wants to help you. And if you are scared of them, you're not going to go anywhere near them. Yeah? So that's the situation. And it's very easy to believe in that. And I've, I've seen this happen again and again, where people, uh, they don't believe that God's angry, inverted commas, but they do believe they're not good enough to receive. They do believe they've not... A, 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 Sounds mental to say, but it's a legalistic way of thinking. But they do believe they've not really had enough. I've heard people pray like this. God, this person has served you year after year after year, and they deserve... No. That's not right. It doesn't matter how much you've served. I had my back healed, and I hadn't served him for one minute. You know? It doesn't work like that. God's a God of grace. Amen? Yeah. He's a God who cares. He's a God who loves. He's not about... Coining up the, the credits um, and, and getting it there. Here's the truth, James 5, verse 16. Let's talk a little bit about this. I do like this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It's good, isn't it? Which almost feels, if you first read it, quite contradictory to what I've just said. You have to be righteous. Yeah? What is that standard? What is the standard of righteousness? How righteous is righteous? I mean, when I first read that, I'm like, well, well, you know, I've got to be really good again. Yeah? Yeah? Well, how righteous is righteous? How righteous do you have to be to have your prayers answered then? I would say jolly righteous. I'm going to use the word jolly, if that's okay. All right? But here's the great news. You are all gifted with righteousness. Gifted with Jesus' righteousness. Yes? 
you already have that righteousness. So when it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, it means you. If you are saved in here, if you have committed your life to Jesus, if you've believed on his death on the cross, Jesus died so that on that cross, your sins could be forgiven, that your sins could be washed clean. He died for us, and there was a switch that took place so that our unrighteousness, our rubbish, could be put onto him, and his righteousness was put onto us. The best deal in the world for us and the worst for him, but it meant that we could have his righteousness. You are clothed with righteousness. Jesus is his righteousness. This is fantastic news. It means you can pray all the time, and they will be effective. And that is essential to know. Again, this is important, really important stuff. So, approach God with confidence. Approach him with joy. Approach him knowing that we can come into him. Because there are many, many lies we have to deal with on this journey. Many lies that will bombard you because experience doesn't always map up with what the word of God says. Experience says, well, it's not happening yet, so how can that be true? We keep your eyes fixed on the word. You keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. It's Jesus who's the author and perfecter of our faith. And as the word goes deeper and deeper and deeper into us, the more we will get on the inside of us that truth, that faith, that message that we'll be able to hold on to. And that will breathe hope in your heart. That'll keep you up when it's all going down. That'll keep you strong on the inside when everything around you is going south. Amen? You keep your eyes on Jesus and everything stays strong. Now, the third, the third view I wanted to look at was the friends. Because I think the friends are amazing. Okay? They carry their friend. They carry their mate. and We don't know how long for it. It could be a while. Um, so it may have been taking some time. They're persevering with their mate, and they carry him, and they journey with him, and they're probably quite tired, and they get to a house that they can't even get into. All right? They can't even get into this. this is like you can't even knock on the door of this house because there's so many people crowded around the outside. So they go up. They, 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 they encourage each other, and they go, you know what? Let's lift our friend to Jesus through the ceiling. Now, I am not recommending that you do that you do this um, at all. This is metaphorical at this particular point, all right? But a very, very good story. Um, they kept on going even when there was no way they made a way. Yeah? They kept on banging that through and kept on going and kept on persevering. Even when there was an obstacle that big in the way, even when there was no way to Jesus in the natural, they kept on persevering and kept on persevering and kept on persevering. And why? Why did they do that? Well, if you've got the answer to that question, then that's great. I'm going to give you 15 minutes. <laughs> so it's like being at school sometimes, isn't it? Right. This is what I think. They saw the situation differently. They saw the situation completely differently to the other two sets of people that we looked at. They thought that man had a hope and a future. They saw that man with different eyes. They saw that man with a faith in their heart that things could be different for him. They saw that man completely and utterly differently than everything else that they'd seen before. They believed for a fantastic future for him. Something that was filled with hope and a glorious future. Something that wasn't going to be exactly the same as what had gone on the day before. Yeah? They saw something that tomorrow could be brighter than yesterday. Yes? 
They saw that. For their friend, who'd had a miserable existence, they were like, this, this man can, my mate here, he can have a better one. That where others saw no hope, they saw potential. Got it? This is why Jesus says, do not judge. Yep, he says, do not judge. He said, don't judge people. Don't judge people. You don't know what the potential is of a person. Don't judge people, because you put a ceiling on a person the minute you do that. Yep, look for the potential in people. Look for the best in somebody. Look for, even if you can't see it right now. And look beyond. Look beyond and see what I see. So, where others saw problems, they saw solutions. That's good, isn't it? I think that's brilliant, that. I might just let that rest for a second. Where others saw problems, they saw solutions. Where others thought God had stopped caring for the man, the friends didn't. The friends believed in better. The friends believed that there was a better future for him. And where others thought the man was not good enough, just the friends just didn't stop. They didn't see him as hopeless in any respect. They believed for him. They believed that he was a possible better future. And this faith was rewarded in a remote, in the most remarkable way in this story. Because it is by faith and perseverance that people inherit God's promises. But there is one final angle. And it's Jesus' angle. Because we've looked at every single viewpoint almost, but we've not looked at Jesus's. Jesus looked at it even better. Because Jesus viewed the whole situation he was bothered, he, was care, he cared, and he was moved, absolutely, by the man's situations. But Jesus believed in a future even brighter than the friends did. He believed in the whole package. He didn't just believe in a physical healing. He believed in the full package, spiritual, emotional, and physical healing. Which is why he says, your sins are forgiven. It's the first thing he says. He doesn't heal him and then forgive him. He says, your sins are forgiven. That's what he's most bothered about, the man's eternal destination. The man's soul is what Jesus is most concerned about at that particular moment. Your sins are forgiven. And then they get into a big argument, obviously. But Jesus goes straight in on that. That's how Jesus views the man. He views the man far beyond what anyone dreams of. You know, what appears impossible in the natural, God knows a way through in the supernatural. Amen? No, nothing is too difficult for him. Even if it means going through the ceiling, it's going to, there's a way. There's always a way. Situations can appear huge. They can appear completely overwhelming. They can appear totally and utterly impossible and far too big, far too difficult to see a breakthrough that we want for ourselves or for other people. But God always can see the way through. And the key is always to look at the situation through God's eyes and not through natural eyes. What do you see when you look at a situation? What do you see? Do you see what's just in front of you? Or is it possible for us to see something bigger and something brighter? When God spoke to Abraham, he said, look at the stars. Look at the sand. What does he see? He sees loads of stars. He sees loads of grains of sand. So will your, uh, your descendants be. It had no descendants at the time. In the natural, it was all over for the guy. What did he see? Jesus showed him something else. He showed him what else he could see. When Joshua, which Sacco looked at last week, when Joshua was standing outside Jericho, God says to him, see, I have given you the city. 
Now, if you look at 6, it is, it's, um, it's in Joshua chapter 6. See, I have given you the city. If you look at that chapter, he hasn't. That city is completely bricked up and it's completely shut up. There's no way in. And God says to him, see, I have given you the city. He's asking him to open his eyes in faith. Amen? Open your eyes to what's possible. Open your eyes to what I am doing. Open your eyes because I'm doing something bigger and brighter than what you can see right now. See, I've given you the city, but it's all locked up. Just see it. See it with your eyes because this is what God's doing. And a lot of it is seeing what God's will is in his life. His, God's will was to give the promised land to Joshua. It wasn't out of his will. He wasn't saying, see, I've given you a Porsche. All right? That's slightly different. We're not talking about that stuff. But, see, I've given you the city. In um, 1 Kings 2, think 2 Kings, when we've got Elisha and Gehazi, and there's a massive army coming out against the the city in that one there like Gehazi comes in he's like oh my word have you seen this army that's coming against us here it's massive and Elisha's like just taking it easy he's having his second coffee of the day he's quite happy he's, he's, not, he's just chilling out he's like well look at this army he's going greater is he who got greater out, out that are fighting for us than are fighting against us and then he prays God open his eyes open his eyes and he sees, the, he sees in the supernatural, he sees what's really going on. There's a wonderful thing in Ezekiel, and this is the same again, um, where we've got um, uh, sorry, the, the prophet Ezekiel, and he's looking over, um, in the spirit or not, uh, looking over the valleys, and they're all destitute, he's then looking over a valley of dry bones, and he's saying, can these dry bones live? And he's kind of like, well, I don't have a clue, actually. But God puts something in his spirit, puts something in his heart. And in fact, as he starts speaking out the word of God, he starts seeing things change. He starts seeing the situation change. Now, nothing was actually happening naturally at that point. You with me? Nothing was happening. He, says, he starts seeing an army rise up with the power of God inside of it. He starts seeing that take place. It wasn't really happening at that point. He was seeing it happen. And he kept on speaking it out. He kept on praying it out. And there's a huge, huge, huge key in all of this because that was the start of it. He had to start seeing it before it actually started happening. Make sense? He prayed it out. God, we just look at that situation of driving. I pray like that now. I pray in, 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 in you know, God, I, I just speak out with the power of God into people's lives right now. Because isn't that God's will? As long as it's God's will... I'm not doing it of stuff that's not God's will. But if it's in the Bible, it's God's will. Are we agreed on that? Yeah? Yeah? Which is why I don't do it over Porsches. But <laughs> if, if it's in the Bible, then you can do it. Yes? It's the word of God. And if you're proclaiming the word of God into people's lives, it can't be a bad thing. Yeah? It can't be a bad thing at all. If you're proclaiming freedom into someone's life, God's not going to go, you know, I'm not really interested. Yeah? You with me? See the way he sees. Look at people the way he looks at people. And you will be amazed at the potential that you see around you and for your own breakthroughs and for other people's breakthroughs. 
Our faith in God, our faith in God can bring glorious breakthroughs in our own lives and in the lives of the people around us. There's people that you know right now that you want to see a breakthrough like crazy for. Yep. And it's horrible when you don't see it day after day after day. I get it. It's horrible. But you hold on, and we hold on, and we hold on, and we hold on with each other as well. Because it took four men to take that man to Jesus. It wasn't one guy carrying it on his chest. Yes, you with me? It was four people. Four people together. We're in this together. All right? You get it? Together. Four people it took. Didn't take just one person giving him a piggyback ride. It's very, very different. But it brings, your faith brings other people to Jesus. It brings other people to get forgiven. It sees other people to get healed, to get saved, to get made whole. To become into a place with Jesus where they can return to God. Isn't that what we want? Now, here's the second question. Is that what God wants? Yeah. If you can marry those two up, then there's no worries. Okay? If it's what God wants then I think we can just start doing those, see it in the way that God sees it, and, and pray it the way God prays it. This is the future. This is the one for the future. The situation isn't where you want your situations to be right now. I get it, okay? So it's the one that's the most delicate to, to project out. But at the same time, isn't that advancing the kingdom of God? Yeah? Does God want tomorrow to be the same as today? Does God want everything just to plateau on and plateau on and plateau on? If no one else gets saved, then what's the church going to look like in 100 years' time? You with me? What's God's will? I mean, we only have to read the Bible. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But you get the point. Look at that with the eyes of faith. The paralyzed man was totally and utterly reliant on his friends. How many people are in our lives right now that are totally and utterly reliant on us? Think, think through these things. But through faith-filled prayer, we can do this. Faith and perseverance is so, so necessary. And without that, he wouldn't have met with Jesus, this guy. So it's an important part of it all. Um, so let's resolve today to pray for at least one person that you would like to see in relationship with Jesus soon. Okay? At least one. You can pray for loads at least one that you would like to see in relationship with Jesus. And consider how your role in this process would be needed. Yeah? This isn't just a case of, I'll pray and let somebody else do all the hard work. All right? Be available to Jesus. See what he says. See what he wants you to do in all of that part of it. Because as we go our day-to-day lives, as we intensely build communities, we continually say that, we're looking to transform people from the inside out. We're looking to see people changed for Jesus. Yep. We agree? Yeah. Okay, this is good. Okay, because in terms of building community, I'm going to repeat it again and again. It's where we go out and make a difference. Okay? It's where we go out and we look to transform the region. It's where we go out and look to transform the communities that are around us. It's where we go by. So you go to your workplaces and you look to build relationships and you look to transform people. It's you go to your schools, you go to wherever it is you work, wherever it is that you have your hobbies, wherever else it is that's outside of this building. And you build community. You build community. You absolutely go out to transform people around. 
Make sense? So we've got a barbecue coming up. Invite them to the barbecue. There's a really easy thing. So you don't even have to make any food. Someone else will do it for you. All right? But invite people and build relationship, build community, transformed through relationship and just prayer and being with each other. And bit by bit by bit, what we'll see is more and more people coming into the kingdom of God. And that's what we've been seeing already. Demonstrate God's love. Tell people about Jesus. Yeah? Isn't that really what it's always been about? Thank you. <laughs> so there we are. The next one of the summer barbecues is next week. If you can't make that, there's another two later on in the summer. So that's good. We've also got Alpha coming up in September, on September the 25th for about 11 weeks or so. Um, so if you are interested in that or you know somebody who... So if you just got saved or you are literally um, interested or you know someone who is interested, um, then please start thinking on that. Um, I, I've put there who are you praying for because that's what I just said. Pray. Start praying. If you're not praying for somebody yet, then start praying now for someone that you know um, that you want to see saved because I can tell you this, God wants to see him saved a lot more than you do. Yeah? yeah. Don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I got a prophecy given to me uh, um, a few days ago. I thought it was just for me and Ange. Um, and the more I mused on it, the more I thought this is for the church. And, um, and I really believe this is for every single one of us. Um, so I'm going to, uh, it's, just, it's a really easy one to, to it's going to sound quite cliche, but it's not. It's this. The best is yet to come. That's it. The best is yet to come. I want you to think on that. Test it. It's it's the word of God. But the best is yet to come. All right? Think about your futures. The best isn't in the past. It's in the future. The best isn't backwards. It's forwards. All right? The best is yet to come. Romans 8 says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. The best is yet to come. 3 John says that your soul is prospering right now. The best is yet to come. Jeremiah 29 says, for I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. The best is yet to come. The best is in the future. Amen? Amen? Okay. Think on that. Dwell on that. Because that in itself there can seem like a harsh, hard word, but it's a promising word. It's a promising word. And there's something in that for every single person in this room, I believe. Now, Jesus' death on the cross, as we've talked about, it brings an eternal relationship with God. It brings that relationship which is free from sin, free from guilt, free from shame. It brings the power to live life and a life in all of its fullness. And as we've talked about, a life full of hope, a future full of hope, a future where we can enjoy God and enjoy life. It's a relationship that brings a new peace. 
a new joy into our lives. I think I keep on coming back to where we can go through really, really difficult times with a supernatural strength. That's the relationship with God that we can have. And in a moment, I'm going to pray. And you may find yourself in one of the following three categories. So can I have every head bowed, please, in this place? And I just want you to listen closely to what I'm going to say. The first one is that you don't know Jesus today as your Lord and Savior. That you've never been a Christian, and you would like to make this day the day you begin your relationship with him. The second is that you used to walk with Jesus and you would like to reconnect with him today. You'd like to recommit your life to Jesus today. And the third is that you're not sure of your salvation. You're not sure that at the end of your life you will be going to heaven. You're not sure about that, but you desire the certainty that Jesus offers. Now, if you relate to any of those three, then I'm going to pray a prayer in a minute. And please pray along with me now and repeat the words, but repeat them out of your heart. And ask, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. and that you rose from the dead. I ask you to forgive me for all my wrongdoing. And receive me as your child. I commit my life to you now. Amen.